they try to keep me away from the mic. Well, I've been working on my rap, too. <laughs> now, I thank John for his ministry. And just so you know, um, you know, you got to see a little bit more of him publicly here since he's been at Christ Central for, man, it's almost been, has it been two years now, John? You've been here? And for the first year, we've been having some great discussions about culture, hip-hop, the gospel, just come by the office sometime. We, we even have a cafe now. And um, let's sit down and have some, some discussions. But we will in the future, definitely in our learning communities and other things, begin to unravel how we think that God has called us at Christ Central to engage um, a wider culture than we have before. And I praise God um, for John's ministry here. Um, as we start our cinematic, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And as we start our cinematic Christmas sermon series, let me thank those who've been praying for me. Um, as I suffered from a real serious bout of vertigo over Thanksgiving break, and I still got it. So if it looks like I've been drinking a lot, I haven't. I'm just filled with the spirit and vertigo. <laughs> um, so I might not be walking around. Um, as much as I normally am. So just uh, bear with me today. I am going to preach today, and then as was planned um, in our uh, cinematic Christmas sermon series, we're going to have uh, some other people preaching through December, and then I'll be back in January to begin a new sermon series in the book of James. So if you want to go look at the book of James and start studying that, that'll be good. If you want to get a head start on me, if you want to check to see if I'm right or wrong, that's fine. The book of James is... Um, is where we're headed in January. So if you don't quite understand um, what we're doing in this sermon series, this cinematic four-week sermon series thing, let me explain it. Yesterday we showed a Christmas movie, and we will every Saturday at 3 o'clock for the next few weeks. And what we do is we take these Christmas movies, these popular, popular these famous movies that, that many um, have been coming out on TV for decades now and, and shining a biblical gospel light on them and their themes. This week, we look at Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Man, we had hip-hop and we had Rudolph in church today. Many of you don't know, but Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that claymation thing, came out in 1964. It makes sense then that, that, that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer would be a character in creation of the mid-60s who is dealing with discrimination because of his unique glowing nose. Other parents would not let them play with their kids or cubs or whatever you want to call him, and he couldn't even join in any reindeer games. It's okay. We're going to get serious in a minute, so I better laugh now. <laughs> but Rudolph was not alone in being a reject in this movie. You had an elf, Herbie, who didn't want to put toys together but wanted to be a dentist instead. And two of them together run into a North Pole silver and gold prospector who used a two-inch thick 
pick in 10 inches of ice to check for precious metals, and we then test this finding by licking the end of it. Misfit. And eventually they came across an island of misfit toys. These toys had a hard time finding kids who would accept them because you have Charlie in the box instead of Jack in the box. A simple enough error of nomenclature that doomed him nevertheless. And then you had a water gun that squirt jelly and a boat that couldn't float and an elephant with spots. And you couldn't quite tell what was wrong with the little doll baby. She didn't have a nose. Maybe that was her problem or something. And it finally easily overlooked the biggest, as in size, not in camera time, the abominable snowman who liked meat, reindeer meat, human meat but was cast as just hating on Christmas. He didn't hate Christmas, y'all. He, just like many of us, wanted red meat for the holidays. <laughs> Nothing foul about that. <laughs> yeah, okay, I couldn't resist. <laughs> but if you didn't guess it, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is not about Rudolph and his red nose and his heroics. It is about being misfit about dealing with rejection and not adding up to and with the status quo. It is about these misfits together finding and being offered redemption and acceptance and love and peace. Now, let's face it. Depending on the story or perspective, we are all misfit or, or find ourselves misfit in some way or another, sometimes more alienated and estranged, depending on who is in charge and what is going on. With that in mind, if we are to take a cynical, right, realistic view, I love being cynical, the, the whole Rudolph cast is misfit. I mean, look back at it. Miss Claus either has no pupils or her eyes are so dilated that the white has completely disappeared. And it doesn't help that she has no eyelashes or lips. That's the making of some kind of horror movie. And dear fly, and the elves are not little people. They are Vulcan dwarfs, right? Trapped in a recessive gene pool cycle that makes them perfect slave labor, labor for Big Daddy Claus. I mean, they will never grow up to be Santa. Can you say glass ceiling? <laughs> and here's the point. Everyone is and can be a misfit based on the story and who is the storyteller. What if the God of the Bible were telling the story? And what if the storyline about you and me and his perspective on us was true. What if the Bible was true? And it is. First, we would see that we are misfit sinners in a broken world. And secondly, that the gospel is the misfit solution for our broken world. You know what's hard about Rudolph? There is this philosophy that being different or deformed or broken or put together wrong is okay. You know, these hero stories, you know, just wait and see, I'll prove the world wrong. 
but you know me. I'm going to go ahead and, and go hardcore for a minute on this so we can get to what God, we need to get from God's word. A reindeer with a glowing nose that gets the attention of the abominable snowman to come and kill everyone. An elf who won't work as a toy maker and makes it hard for others to do their jobs. And a train with square wheels and an owl that swims is not right. you got home with your kids' toys and the cars had square wheels, or the doll babies yelled obscenities instead of mama, or choke-sized pieces fell off the stuffed animals, or God forbid, what if the X-Men action figure or the Elsa doll had a glowing red nose? You would take it back as defective, not because you don't or can't see the good in it, but because it is not right, it is not holy, it is not good, it is dangerous and wrong, and for what you paid for and what you got, kind of unjust. You wouldn't tell your kid or yourself, remember Rudolph. Maybe there is a lesson of love and acceptance as you choke on that piece of toy. Like Elsa, let it go. Her nose glows on this doll. Just deal with it. We wouldn't do that. In fact, the Bible gets pretty raw in telling us what misfit looks like in large part. I want to prepare you. I didn't rewrite this, right? This is the same version of the Bible we've been using all along. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 that you're having your reading today, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's like getting in Santa's bag, right? As a misfit toy, right? Do you not, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revelers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then in the book of Galatians, it goes further. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But that list shows us so there's not one of us who doesn't have this misfit with sin issue in some way or another. I have to say this because I know the civil rights among gays is a hot issue right now and I want to be sensitive. But if you think I'm just using the scripture to pick on gay folks by using, you know, what's written here, get over it. Look closely at the list. There is not one person sitting right here who is not a misfit in some way. Let me go further. There is no one sitting here today who, is, who doesn't think they're a misfit in a way they really are. Look at verse 18 in the 1 Corinthians passage here. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I read all of that so you can embrace this common denominator that the Apostle Paul is dealing with. And it's this, the Greeks, right? The philosophers, the, the, psycho, the psychologists, the spiritualists, and social experts, the talking heads of his day, just like our day. And for the Jews, it's, it's the religious, the spiritual church, churchgoers, and the moralists. And get this, what he's saying, as well as the God of the Bible, there is obviously a problem with humanity. Something is awry. Something is off with us. Something is deformed and twisted and abominable about the human mind, heart, and society and relationships it decides to put together. The whole world, when, when, when Paul talks about the wisdom of the world, when he talks about the religious side and the irreligious side, he talks about the philosophical side, right, and, and the moral side, he is saying the whole world looks out and inside and can see and says we, they, us, it all together down here, whether I am an atheist, an agnostic, a modernist, a ghetto hip-hop nihilist, or charismatic reform pietist, that this world and its people are misfit. That somehow we've broken. And the world we live in is skewed. And so we need and we all need and we, we search for some kind of way to make misfit fit. I mean, think about the way we are down here. Think about the way we don't get along and mistreat each other and pit each other in harm's way and fought, fail to submit and give up our personal desires for the good of others. Because like Herbie, we want to be a dentist in a coal mine and assembly line economy. Regardless of how it hurts everybody. Sorry, y'all. Can't finish my job. I want to be a dentist. It all says we are sinners. Plain and simple. Misfit sinners who have made a misfit and broken world for ourselves and others. But look what it's telling us here in this scripture. It's telling us when it talks about the wisdom of men and, and, and God kind of clashing here and how God's Wisdom is, is better and, and men's wisdom trying to make theirs better over God. And these philosophers are trying to deal with Paul in the human condition, trying to come up with reasons for what's wrong. It is telling us that to fix misfit feelings we had and have inside, or maybe because we were just trying to help everyone get along or make sense of the insensitivity and unsensible acts of people or the abusive things we have been through, we come up with our own wisdom and our own smart for the foolishness and evil we experience in the world. We make ourselves our own heroes. We make a new, get this, a new moral code for living. We even make those people or those kinds of people the real problem so the misfitness we feel we can fix. 
And out of that, the Bible says misfit people, sinners, in an attempt to outsmart and survive the misfit feeling of being sinners, separated from God and good, made it and good, that, that we made it worse. That, that they and we tried to make not being godly, like, like the list we see in chapter six, right? More comfortable and tried to make sense of redemption and change on their own. They, like we do today, tried to fix the world and everyone else's world, and in doing so, consider themselves wise in their own eyes only to make a more foolish world, only to make a more misfit world for misfit and sinful people. The reason I'm hitting on this, I want you to understand that discrimination against people with disabilities Against people who are of different cultures and races and genders and socioeconomics and national origins or certain misfit sin struggles are a result, ironically, now hear me now, of a misfit world trying to apply its wisdom and its problem solving to the human dilemma without the gospel. Why can't we just get along? Why do people discriminate of, of, of what, because of what we make, we, we, we kind of revalue things, right? And, and try to deal with the pain of not feeling useful ourselves to deal with the alienation from God who is supposed to be there. And it ends up being about what? Verse 31 tells us, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And what Paul is saying is that typically when we realize we are misfits in a misfit world and things don't seem right, we look at our window, we look at our newspaper, newspaper, sorry, and we look online, or we look at Facebook, we see what people are saying, we look at the news, we see all these kind of things, and, it, and, and, what, and what Paul was saying is, we begin to boast, we begin to say, we're not the problem, they're the problem. We're not wrong, they're wrong. And we begin to form a wisdom, a, 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 a fallen theology, a, a fallen morality around feeling misfit. What do we do? We make what is clearly not right or true or normal, right, true, and normal. And when misfit people do that, through a skewed lens, it becomes prejudice and ignorance and murderous and evil and godless and abominable and self-righteous and rigorous and overly rigid and square and religious and mean and rejecting in a bad way. We even start to make misfits sin the new normal. And God in the Bible, the abnormal problem. <laughs> you know what the problem in the world is, everybody? You hear this is the problem? It's religion, right? It's, it's the Bible. It's, it's, oh, it's the God who made us. He's the problem. We're not misfit. He's misfit. He's the one who is strange in the world. Let's get rid of him. And it makes sense now. That's senseless.
If we make sin the new normal in a failed and foolish attempt to make sense out of our fear, recognition, and horror, then guess what? You are helpless and hapless misfits in a misfit world. And what's strange about the wisdom of men and women in this misfit world is what's right today isn't right tomorrow. And this passage tells us why we keep messing it up on our own. We're separated from the wisdom of God. Here's the irony. The harder we try on our own to further our cause, to make us less misfit, sometimes you just do it to yourself, right? I don't like this feeling. I don't like the way things are going. It says, the more foolish we will become. We're misfit. So misfit that we can't fix ourselves. You know, there's a funny line in a movie. (laughs) The redhead guy. What's his name? Anybody remember his name? With the pickaxe. Yukon Cornelius. You know, they're misfits. Rudolph's a misfit. Herbie the dentist, Elf, is a misfit. And then they get to the island of misfit toys, and they talk to the king at the island of misfit toys. They're like, hey, we misfit. We want to live here. And the king of the misfit toys says, y'all can't live here because this is for toys. Y'all are living creatures, even though the toys talk. (laughs) Y'all can't live here. And Yukon says, doggone, we misfits even among the misfits. (laughs) So this great king makes this wise island for misfit toys, and there's still some way it's discriminatory? That's the way it is without the gospel. Even, there's no place on Misfit Island for misfits. That's dumb. You got the space. We've been in the guest quarters. We know you got space. And the snowman want to eat us? You... All right, so let's see if there's a better solution. So guess what? God's solution for sin for misfits in a misfit world cannot and does not look like anything Here's what's strange about it. That's why he talks about the wisdom of God seems foolish to people who don't know the gospel. It says, because the wisdom of God, the, the, you know, it can't, anything God can bring to save us can't look like anything any misfit person who was born in misfit and misfit world would or, co- would or could come up on their own with. God's solution will not, not look like human wisdom. It will look more misfit, right? It, it, what am I talking about? The gospel, right? The, the God-given, empowered, and occupied message and mechanism to save misfits trapped on Misfit Island, alienated from God and his goodness. Look back with me at verse 18. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, right? Craziness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
And then verse 21, it says again, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but what do we preach? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is the preaching in the cross about? What is this thing that allows misfits to fit in God's kingdom and plan and purpose? It's this, that while and because you and I were sinners, that sin misfits, making a mess of our world, while our world messed over us, God sent Jesus to want us, to win us, to gather us, to get us, to, to save us, to, to take us out of, out of God-love isolation, to make us his people, to have community with us, to make a community out of people, to make them fit with and fit to him. Let me break it down. The God of all holy conformity is seeking to save and love and affirm people of all moral and sin deformity. The God of all holy wisdom and knowledge is going to communicate, associate himself with, 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 with people who, who are fallen. He's going to be the Santa Claus, right? The daddy of people with all sorts of emotional, mental, can't get right, can't do right disabilities. That the supreme, supersized life power God in Jesus became a sinful maggot and magnet of sin for people and in doing so he died on a cross to save them. What's crazy about this? He even does it for people who are misfits in a general sense of the world. Word. the least successful, the least knowledgeable, the ones who don't and can't earn or deserve it, the misfits within the misfits. You, 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 know, you, you know what I, again, what I don't like about Rudolph as a character and how they presented him? No, come on, y'all. He was accepted and acceptable to Santa and the others only when he proved his usefulness. I hate that. And the abominable snowman is only let in when he has no teeth. Look at verse 25 with me. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, now verse 26 is the point here. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. For God chose what is foolish in the world... To shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Uh, it would be wise, right? It would be sensible for a misfit to be acceptable and usable by God and in this world if their freakishness, right, could be moralized or useful in some way. This passage is saying that by, our, by, by all our human ability to see how we could be useful and make sense being all up with God of bringing something to the table in terms of wisdom and holiness did not count when God chose us. got some news for you about your God. Unlike Santa and Rudolph, he doesn't need our uniqueness to light his sleigh. He's already the light. For those of you who might understand the gospel in church and what it means a believer, let me tell you something about our God. He's already got all he needs. And it's completely happy and secure within himself. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need us to do anything for him. I always wondered if there were no storm or foggy Christmas Eve. Or if the snow yeti, I called him, could still hurt people. Or what if he was too short to put the star on top of the Christmas tree? When they bring him in at the end, look what he can do. He's tall. He put the thing on top. He doesn't even need a ladder. What if he was short with a lot of teeth? (laughs) Would Santa still let him into the community? And like the wise scholars back then, back in Paul's day, we, we do it all the time to make the gospel make sense. We try to heroize those whom God has called to be in the faith, right? We love, you, not, I don't know, some of you evangelical Christians, you love the Tim Tebow's. And we look at the world and we say, see, God knows what he's doing. Or we look at, I, I, I guess they saved some of my Anglo brothers and sisters more often. Think that you too, the Bono, guy's a Christian. Okay, I'll accept it. As long as Whitney Houston get into See, look at Bono, world fame. God, see, look how incredible God is, y'all. We, we, we point to, to, you know, all the successful Christians and their actions and their behaviors and all the tokens of the world, right? Lord of the Rings, it was written by a Christian guy, y'all. See? Oh, oh, or we looking for somebody on TV who gets the Grammy. Thank you, God. They're a Christian, yes. <laughs> we look to the world. We, we try to find heroes of intellectual business and, with social, and social accolades. And we like when Christians look wise and strong and awesome. And yet the Bible says God doesn't care. That's not what God's looking for. When someone gets a Grammy, Lord. God's not like, finally, I'm important. Finally, I matter. Finally, Christianity makes sense. God doesn't care. Listen to sports talk radio a lot. 
as in every morning. Not on the weekends we don't lose, but when we lose, but every morning. And they're trying to make the front office of the Panthers the problem, right? Because you, you decide who got drafted. Look who you took. That was stupid to waste money here and there. Look, we got these sorry players that can't win but so many games. It's the front office fault, right? It's their fault. It's that fault. And look, y'all, God always trades away his first round picks. And he waits until the bottom rounds to pay top dollar. Let me just say, God does not and did not choose to save misfits because they would or should somehow prove helpful to him or somehow become world beaters and become sort of PR for the gospel and become the most financial sound or influential or well-spoken or healthiest or best in their field or be able to be on national TV accepting the award, thanking God at the Grammys or pointing to the sky on one knee after scoring six. And that could happen, but that is not why and how God saves and accepts us. Here's the irony of the gospel. He chooses the misfit so that he can look better. So that he can get the praise. So that he can get, and we will give, and he will give, get all the love and credit and thanks from us, not so the misfit can get a movie or a song named after them. As a matter of fact, it would have been better for Rudolph's movie to have been titled The Loving and Mercy Santa Claus who used this misfit reindeer anyway. And in God's kingdom of people, the gospel seeks to call a reindeers with red noses on a bright and clear day. An abominable snowman with teeth who are too short to put the star in the Christmas tree. And elves who know more about teeth than toys. So surprised. The kind of people who God comes for and draws into his kingdom and pours his power to are the same people in chapter 6 that you have in your bulletin. Ooh. Really? Or do you not know it says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to what Paul says. And such were some of you. If I had this list of people, I would not put them together and call them the church. I wouldn't even give y'all a second look. Pastor Brown, you need to put together a church. Here are the people right here. Trust the gospel. <laughs> no way. You better be glad God saved you because I wouldn't sign you up. Heck, I wouldn't sign me up. It says, and such were some of you. Now get this, y'all, because we like to live here. We like to stop there. Oh, we just listed people. Oh, woe is me, sinful, sinful, sinful misfit. But listen to what it says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words, God chose the most misfit from all assessments and didn't make excuses or try to overlook their misfitness. The, God, the Bible says that God came to get them and God wanted those who could only be described as the worst. 
And the philosophically moral world, the Jews and the Greeks are like, give us a sign or something, man. We, we need to see some lightning in the sky for this thing to be real. Because Paul, this thing don't make sense. Look at these ragamuffin folk you got here. These folk are tore up from the ground up, right? They got problems. They're the losers. They gonna kill each other. They ain't gonna change. They'll keep slipping back in our way or slipping and sliding. They will hate each other. They'll have too much, they have too much bad history. They are ruined goods. They are too broke, too poor, too powerless, not enough popular, ain't not, not enough beautiful types. They rub people the wrong way. They got too many problems. And some of you, yeah, believers, you believe in that. You look at yourself and your church and the church in general and Christianity the same way I know I do. Look at us. Look at me. Why did the gospel do this? Why did Jesus want me? Why does God want to love me? What use or good am I? Coming in as such an abominable person. Look at the life I've lived. Look at what life has done to me. I'm not good with people and crowds and community. I'm not rich enough to give enough. I'm selfish. I'm selfish in a community kind of church thing. I used to, I, I like to use people. I'm, I'm greedy. I used to be a player. I, I get angry a lot. I only do things and, and motivated, by, motivated by people liking me and getting popular. I still struggle with this or that sin. Why would anyone trust or believe me? The gospel tells us that the preaching of the cross destroys the wisdom of the wise and discernment of the discerning. As you look at your heart today and you look at your world today, as you look at it through the gospel lens, you'll see clearly that he did it because he's a gracious and loving and merciful God of misfits. I told you it was foolishness. Didn't I tell you if preaching the cross is foolishness? Why? Help me figure it out, God. It's not for us to figure out. It's for us to receive. It's the gift of God in Christ Jesus for crazy people. And that's every peer person. The people who think they're not crazy, the craziest. Let me close with this. The last line of Rudolph's song is this. He'll go down in history. He'll go down in history. I can't sing. Maybe I'll rap it. No. <laughs> Do you know what has broken the chains of unbelief and the chains that would keep you misfit before God? You know what breaks that? Something actually happened in history. Do you know that? The most misfit thing happened. God came as a baby born in a manger 
walked the earth with a bunch of smelly fishermen. A bunch of rejects. He died on a cross. The king of your kingdom died. The king of your kingdom gave up his power. Died on a cross and rose to those who see him, his believers. And he left an invisible spirit. That actually happened. And by that foolish misfit solution, we are all saved through Christ. Stop trying to figure it out. Relish and receive the gift of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Mary, misfit. Christmas, you misfits. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that if it were up to us, we wouldn't save ourselves.